If you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 5. Two passages, 1 Peter chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 5. I've got a lot of scriptures for you. And if, you're, and if you like and you have the Bible app, you can either go to calvary.online and click today's message. It'll lead you to a link. All the notes will be right there and you can add your own notes. Uh, or you can, uh, you can go to the Bible app and you can find us as a live event if you want to find us that way. Today I want to uh, speak to you as a second uh, message in the series of messages called Stewardship in the Kingdom. Stewardship in the Kingdom. Now, anybody here a, a dog owner? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're a dog owner. Oh, man. See, you people understand stewardship on a, on a level. And if you got the dog as a rescue or as a puppy... You really understand stewardship, don't you? You know, when we first got our dog, Piper, uh, she's, a, she's a cavalier, King Charles, a precious dog. And, uh, you know, I kept looking for the valve that would I could turn off the little sprinkler. It wasn't there, you know. Uh, uh, Piper is really, really a, a very smart dog, and actually she has her own schedule. Uh, I like... I like uh, Piper. She uh, every morning uh, she will she will uh, knock at the door at five fifty nine, saying, um, "There is no food in my bowl." And then when I walk out the door, she acts surprised that I'm awake. I'm like, "You little manipulator." And so you know when you when you have a dog you know you you gotta you gotta you know train the dog you gotta steward that dog you gotta be faithful with the dog and uh, and so uh, I think sometimes it's life's little lessons that launch us into deeper truths and we need to understand that there are titles and identities given to us in Scripture that are powerful none more powerful than uh, being a son or a daughter of God. How wonderful an idea that we are not just connected to God as a people, but we're connected to God as family. It's, it's the deepest sense of connection when you're connected through his son, Jesus Christ. But there are other identities which we must embrace, and this is actually one that we are going to talk about uh, all this month, this idea that you and I have been called by God a steward. You are a steward. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, As each one of you has received a gift, minister it to one another as, here's the word, Good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let them speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him uh, do it at, uh, with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It says this, each of you has received a gift. Each of you. Look at your neighbor and say, do you have a gift? Come on, say it like you mean it. Say it like you mean it. You have a gift. Now, I know it's hard to, it's hard to uh, maybe, maybe uh, we, we get into a dangerous game of comparison and we, we kind of think of our gift compared to another gift, and that's a dangerous thing that we should never, ever do. We should actually accept the Word of God as it is, saying, each of us has a gift. Say, I have a gift. 
And each of us are called to steward that gift, ministering it to other people. So we never enter into fullness unless we embrace our identity as a steward. So we must embrace this identity of being a steward. It's a person who acts as a surrogate for another or others. Sometimes it's like a a person who would manage a property or financial affairs or an estate. A, A steward is one who is responsible for overseeing something of value that belongs to another. And the gifts in I, that, that you and I have, that we have received, they actually belong to God, but they are ours to steward for his glory. And God says, I want you to manage this, steward this for my kingdom and for my glory. Now, a lot of these ideas, um, God was... Uh, percolating in my heart, and a dear friend, uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, Charlie uh, Gardner, um, he actually gave me a book called The Stewardship of Life. It's by an author named uh, Kirk uh, Nowry, and um, uh, he, he gave me this book in, in the meeting, and I just, you know, a lot of people give me books. God bless you if you give me a book. Um, I eventually will get to it. But I, I just put it down because the Lord, I was like thankful. Even the title was a confirmation of something that God had already spoken to me back in December. That I would be speaking on stewardship during the month of February. And I began to understand some things. And the first, uh, when he gave me the book, I was like, oh, great. And I just put it down. And I, I, I spoke a, a message in, in January on vision. And the Lord, on, uh, after I went home that Sunday and spoke the message on vision, the Lord said, I, you know, today, don't nap. Pick up the book that you were given. And I went and picked up the book, and I read the sermon I had just preached. And I thought, he's going to think I just preached straight from the book. And then I thought, God, I am tracking. I'm on track with what you're saying. And all of us, I think, were blessed during the month of, of January when God was speaking to us about vision But vision is meaningless unless you understand how to steward vision. And we talked about that last week, about how to meaningfully steward vision. And we had a a baptism service in here. But if you go online, you can listen to the sermon on stewarding uh, vision. Now, I want to talk to you today about stewardship of another kind and another area that God is calling us to steward that most of the time we don't think about this, this area. Today, we're going to talk about stewarding opportunity. Stewarding opportunity. Ephesians chapter 5 is a powerful uh, three scriptures, but this is kind of the, the, where the whole idea germinates from, and it is this. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, this is the NIV version. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. 
making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. If you have New King James, it would say it this way, redeeming the time. Make the most of opportunity. every opportunity it means this. I redeem the time. I make proper use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Let me tell you, we are living in an hour, church, where we must understand that we are only stewarding the time which we are given in an age where darkness is trying to advance. But God's answer to advancing darkness is a people filled with light who redeem the time and make the most of every opportunity. That's why we're here right now. This is why we're alive on this planet. The days are evil. God's answer is you, filled with his light, filled with his love, and filled with his message. That's God's answer. So we are to live carefully, stewarding opportunity by understanding the revealed will of God. Many people struggle with this idea. Lord, what's your will? Ranch or blue cheese on my wings? You know? <laughs> what's your will, God? <sighs> Definitely blue cheese. Oh, I am so glad that with this crowd, I didn't bring up all the cat people, okay? <laughs> okay, I know, I know, I know. Listen, some of us love casting out demons. That's just... All right. <laughs> I figure if I'm going to bury myself, I'm going to do it all the way, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so what do we do? We, we, we can't say, okay... God, we're like, God, what's your will? What's your will for my life? What's your will? Listen, there are some things connected with, to your life which are a mystery which God will reveal in his timing by his grace and by his spirit. But how many of you know that there are a lot of things that are already revealed concerning the will of God for our life? And I am of the personal belief that if we will steward what God has already revealed, it will position us to uh, unlock mysteries concerning our own life of the wares and the winds and, and being properly positioned by God. Deuteronomy 29, 29 uh, says this, the secret things belong to the Lord, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children and to our children's children. It says this, those things which are revealed, they belong to us. And if they belong to us because of God's grace, we are called to steward them. So today we're going to talk about uh, three areas we know that we're called to steward. The first area uh, that I want to talk about is we must steward the opportunity to evangelize. We must steward the opportunity to evangelize. I want you to listen to the last words that Jesus spoke uh, to the disciples. You have to understand that this is the scene of, uh, I'm going to cover about 50 days. Jesus on the cross, he cries out his last, he says, Tetelestai, he says, paid in full. It is finished. And he breathed his last and the ground shook. God himself came down and tore the veil in the temple from top to bottom. And the whole 
all, the whole of Jerusalem shook under an earthquake. Gloom would overshadow the city as they laid the body of our Savior in the garden tomb. And for three days he laid there. But on the third day, whispers began to be heard. Shouts begin to be heard first from the women who would visit that garden tomb and find Jesus was resurrected then from disciples who were having a race to get there and they would say they would hear the message that Jesus is raised from the dead he would then come and find them huddled in their in, in their locked rooms and he would come and interject himself into these moments they're terrified and he tells Thomas touch here touch here it's really me i am raised from the dead He spends 40 days on the planet. And his last words before ascending into heaven is this. It's found in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. What is he talking about right before he goes into heaven? He is saying, listen, you are about to be given the opportunity to be a voice, to be this person who would evangelize the planet. You are being given this, this, this moment. And he says, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to come on and you will be a witness. You're not going witnessing. This is going to be out of the overflow of the transformation that I do in your life. Matter of fact, we are, 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 are religiously akin to this scripture. But when Jesus spoke this in the orig- original language, perhaps... Our church growth models would be turned on their head if we spoke this way to our congregations regularly uh, because Jesus actually looked at them and said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power and you will be my martyrs. That's the word in the Greek. You'll be so transformed. You'll be so changed. You'll so believe the message That you're willing to die for the message. You're willing to carry this message in the face of threat of death. And it's actually become actually quite popular again to say, I would die for Christ. And while that is a noble aim, let's just start with, I will live for Christ. Let's start there and saying, I am going to make the opportunity of actually being a living witness, of taking this opportunity to share the gospel. Many of us know Matthew chapter 28, Jesus saying these words, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Listen, why does Jesus connect this statement, I am with you to the very end of the age, with this this great instruction to share the gospel? Here's why. The eternal hands of time are ticking 
And we are in an age called the church age. Its genesis was Pentecost. It started then. And one day, the church age will come to a close. The scriptures say that one day, there will be a trumpet sound. And there will be a shout from heaven. The dead in Christ will rise. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We are looking forward to that day, that that great homecoming. But listen, the clock is ticking. And, And while I am looking forward to that moment, I have an instruction in this moment, which is weighty, to be a witness, to make the most of every opportunity to share the gospel, to preach the good news. You say, well, you know, I don't, what, how, how, do we, how do we preach the good news? Well, first of all, gospel means good news. So that means when you're telling it, you ought to be smiling. <laughs> it's good news. And the apostle Paul laid it out very clearly to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which you are saved. Listen, lives are changed through the gospel, not through good organizations, not through well-meaning outreaches. Listen, the gospel is what changes lives. He says, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you, first of all, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again uh, the third day according to the scriptures. This is a summary of the gospel, that we have all have, have sinned. That we were all separated from God. But God, in his love, sent his son, Jesus. He he gave himself to pay the penalty for our sin as the spotless lamb of God. So that you and I could be restored in relationship. But that it didn't end there with just Christ dying on the cross. He actually was buried. This is important for you to know. I mean, why couldn't Christ just die? And moments later, gloriously, just kind of float through the spikes in a great Hollywood scene. Why did he have to be buried for three days? Here's why, church. This is a glorious revelation of the goodness of God. Because he was taking sin where it belonged. He was taking sin to hell. He was burying all of the separation and all of the sickness and all of the shame and all of the things that the the enemy had introduced on humanity. He was burying it on the cross and he carried the weight to hell. He says, hey, by the way, I'm leaving this here. And all who place faith in me, they get the righteousness I have. This is the gospel. Not that we are good, but that he is good. And those who place faith in him receive a righteousness that's not their own. It's the grace of God. It's the goodness of God. It's the gospel. Not only was he buried, but he was raised from the dead. 
Come on, we saw it last week, people coming up out of the water. That's what it looked like over and over and over again. People coming up out of the water. What was that celebrating? The moment that Jesus came up out of the grave. He's like, listen, I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. What is he saying? I have resurrection life. He looked at Lazarus' sisters and said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe on me, though he die, yet shall he live. What is he saying? Those who place faith in Christ, you get the same resurrection life. What's another term for that resurrection life? It's eternal life. This is why the early church could sing as they're being burned at the stake. They're suffering and singing. It's because they're like, oh, I serve a God who raises the dead. He gave me eternal life. So in the face of all of the persecution, it mattered not. Why? They possessed eternal life. So, let's ask ourselves a real question. When and where do these opportunities to steward evangelism, to steward this sharing of the gospel, where do they, where do they happen? Maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, he's talking about evangelism. Okay, pastor, when's the next, uh, you know, big outreach event? Um, it's coming in about 20 minutes. When we say the final amen and we send you out of here filled with God's word and filled with God's spirit out into a dark world, our outreach event starts as soon as this service is over. We want you filled up. We want you healed up. We want you empowered by God's spirit. But don't look for us to organize your next evangelism event. You need to look for every day to be uh, an opportunity to evangelize that we would evangelize on this journey of life. When you come into contact with a coworker who's suffering, share the gospel. When you, uh, I like this one, this one's fun for me. I mean, if somebody pays to sit next to me on a plane, they're gonna get their money's worth. Especially when some people like to share my seat. You know, they just bless God. I'm like, you're going to get all of me. I'm a, I may not lay hands on you, but you get in the shoulder. <laughs> I'm going to share the gospel. Meet them for the first time. Get a name. I dare you today. Just take this one rule. This will, this, you're, so many opportunities will share the, to share the gospel will show up. If you'll just live by this one simple rule, you'll probably get better service in restaurants, and they'll probably throw free food at you too, but it is this simple rule. Always make a friend. Always make a friend. Stop, you know, stop thinking about the, the, the girl at Publix who's checking you out as simply a cashier. Dare to look at her name and call her by it. Always make a friend. When you make a friend, opportunities to evangelize come out of nowhere. And so God wants us to steward these opportunities. They are everywhere. Anybody ever sit at the bedside of someone who you know is about to enter eternity? 
I have. There's no greater time and no more meaningful time to share the gospel than then. You say, well, I want to be sensitive. No, you want to be kind, and to be kind is to be useful. Kindness is connected to usefulness, and we need to be useful by our master in that moment. I remember one time when I was a, a young man, it was, it was right before even I was engaged, I was up in uh, Tennessee, and, uh, and I was really looking forward to going on this hike in, uh, in uh, the Great Smoky Mountain Park. I was really excited about it. Uh, I remember pulling into the park entrance, and there at this, this national park entrance where you go in and you get your maps for the various hikes, there was a man there, and he was actually uh, handing out materials uh, connected to New Age religion. And he's just basically telling everybody at the most visited park in the United States that all roads lead to heaven. Now, I knew that because I was familiar with what he was talking about. But I, I just walked right past him. I was thinking about, you know, my hike. Because it's, it's, it's like three and a half miles up. This mountain, and it's an eight-hour round trip, and I got to be back down before the sun goes down, right? Because I'm on vacation. That's what we do, vacate. <laughs> Only God said, you should talk to him, and I ignored it. And I walked right by him, and he's like trying to give me these materials and talk to me. I said, no, thank you. And I just walked right in, and I got my thing, and God's talking to me. You should talk to him. And I go, and I get my trail, and I got my friends with me. And we walked right back by him again, got in the car, and left. And I was troubled the whole hike. A couple days later, we're in the same place. He's not there. I'm troubled. One year later, I go back to the exact same place because I believe, man, these people are like, you know, they're just like, ticks on a dog. They're just right where they are, okay? All the time, they're in the same place, right? Because they're just trying to find that one place where they can always be. Not there. And I can remember in that moment, kneeling and thinking to myself, God, please send another messenger who would be faithful to steward the opportunity to share the gospel with this man. And I don't share that to heap a weight on you, but if God allows us to ever feel the burden and the weightiness of a stewarding opportunity, then I welcome that kind of pressure on my soul. It's the kind of pressure that continues to wake me up early so that when I go and stand on campuses and present the gospel at 7.30 in the morning and I'm preaching with the same energy that I have right now, I'm doing it. Why? Because I'm stewarding an opportunity to share the truth with a generation that is is in the midst of increasing darkness. So what happens? We steward the opportunity to evangelize. Peter says it this way. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Do it. Don't miss an opportunity. That's actually why, uh, you know, uh, on April 5th, we're going to three services. 
Because we want more opportunities to share this gospel with people. And please don't forget, most people, 80% or so, are still making decisions to follow Christ on church premises. They're still in church buildings. What's that mean? We need to take advantage of that to share the gospel, to share good news and say, hey, there is a place where there is bread. And if you in this room have found the bread of life, what kind of selfish people are we when the whole world is starving if we won't point them to where the bread is? That's why 8 a.m., 9.45, 11.30, we're believing God that he is going to add people to this place. Not because we want numbers, it's because we want souls. We want the kingdom of God to advance. We want to see you come into your place. We want to see God uh, use you powerfully in your generation. But we have to steward the opportunity to evangelize. Next, and this goes right with it, we have to steward the opportunity to empathize. Empathy is where you put yourself in another person's position. And empathy awakens compassion that allows you to feel uh, the other person's physical, emotional, or spiritual pain and then do something. I want you to notice these powerful words from Matthew 25, how Jesus views those who seize the opportunity to empathize with others. Matthew 25, 34, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. When we steward the opportunity to empathize, we take time to look for Jesus in the eyes of the hurting and broken. That is what we must do. We must seize this opportunity to empathize. That we wouldn't be a church that would look down on people who come in addicted, who come in broken, who come in hurting. We're not looking down. We can't look down on them. Jesus said, I'm attaching my name to their life. Think of this. Jesus, the one who never sinned, said, I was in prison for breaking the law. What was he saying? He was saying, listen, listen, you have to seize the opportunity to empathize with people where they are, to see their hurt as an opportunity to minister to Christ. We are ministering to Christ. Yes, people's needs are met. Yes, it's real, but we will never fully evangelize. We'll never fully take that opportunity to evangelize unless we are stewarding the opportunity to empathize. And what comes right behind it is we must steward the opportunity to energize. 
You say, what does that mean? Well, empathy is to reactively feel what another feels, but to energize is to proactively affect the way people live. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's not enough for us to empathize. We must realize that God has given the church the Holy Spirit in time, that we carry his power. This word power is dynamite, miraculous, working power. It's the explosive power of God. And we have got to steward those opportunities to see God work miraculously in people's lives. It is not enough for us to simply look at people's hurts and say, oh, I feel so bad. It is our responsibility to come alongside their pain and say, there is a God who is a savior, who is a healer, who is a miracle working God. You say, what's it look like? It looks like Acts chapter 3. After the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Peter and John are just going to pray. They're stewarding this opportunity to go and to seek the face of God as they had done. Matter of fact, most scholars believe that Jesus and all the disciples had walked by this guy at the gate beautiful in Acts chapter 3. But then there was this day, this appointed moment, this opportunity to steward came. And this is so wonderful. It's amazing. This beggar is laying there. He's been lame all his life. And he's saying, would you give me some money? Would you give me some money? And he asks and he, he asks again, would you, would you please meet my needs at this gate called Beautiful? The reason it's called Beautiful, if you looked at the name of this gate in, uh, in Greek, you actually understand that there's a time signature connected to this word beautiful. It's actually, it means that a flower is beautiful in its day when it's bloomed. So it's when something comes into its season, it's beautiful. And so all of a sudden, this guy is about to come into his season. And, and this is what the scripture says. I love this. It says, Peter looked straight at him as did John. There was a confidence in them that the power in them was enough for his need. He looked straight at him. Peter looked at him right in the eyes. John 2. And this is what Peter says. Look at us. Look at us. Oh, in this day where we're, we're taught, oh, yeah, don't look anybody in the eye. You know, we're just going to... You're just, just trying to get through life, not make too many waves. And yet here, when the opportunity to release God's power came, here's what they said. Look at us. And he said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give unto you. Rise and walk in the name of Jesus. And taking him by the hand, he lifts the lame man to his feet. And the scripture says, suddenly strength came to his feet, to his legs, to his bones. And he began to walk. And then they all began to leap and to praise God. What did they minister? Did they minister silver and gold? No. They ministered the spirit of 
of God to this lame man, and God's power transformed his life. This is actually what God has called us to in this age, in this time. To be new covenant ministers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, it says this. It says, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything of ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. He's saying, listen, our competence doesn't come from our studies, even though you should study. Our competence doesn't come from our experiences, although experiences are good. He is saying our competence comes from this indwelling Holy Spirit, and that is what we are called to minister to people. We are new covenant ministers. He says, not of the letter. Don't think you have got to have 10,000 scriptures memorized before you share the gospel and share the power that's in your life. That's a lie from the enemy to silence the church. When you get woke up from the grave of sin, you've got something to share. You've got something to say. You, say, you can say, I was dead, but now I'm alive. How are you alive? I placed faith in the one that was dead and is now alive. He changed my life. He washed my sin. He made me and he filled me with his presence. Minister that. Can you pray for someone to be, who is sick to be healed? Yes, you can. Do you possess something that is energetic, that actually changes the way people live? Yes, you do. I'm still waiting for that one false prophecy to come to pass. Pastor Otis, one day you'll calm down. Let me just tell you, it's not coming to pass. Why? Because God isn't changing his mind about the way he feels about this community, about the way he feels about a new generation coming to know him. He hasn't changed his mind, and he's looking for a people who will steward the opportunity to release his power, to energize the people, to come into the possibilities that God is offering. If you are looking for the church where you could just stay the same and attend, this is not the place for you. Because the power to change is here. His name is Jesus. And he intends on making us just like him. The lives we live are not our own. We live them by faith in the Son of God. We live to reflect him well and to see his power transform lives. We don't just preach the gospel in word. We live as a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And that's what God is offering to all who believe. But let me, just, let me just give you another target to focus on because it is not only the miraculous power that we are called to steward, but we are also called to steward God's miraculous power on the words that we use. Hebrews chapter 3 says something very profound. It says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But, listen, 
encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Are, are, are you hearing this? He's saying, listen, when you get into fellowship with other believers, when you come into real relationship with other believers and you see somebody who is starting to believe circumstance over God's word, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to release words that are dripping with the power of the Holy Spirit that would actually rebuke the hardness that the enemy is trying to bring and it would actually release the reign of God's presence to soften the soil of the heart so that the seed of God's word can actually germinate and give forth its fruit. Your words dripping with God's power changes lives. And that's one way. It's not the only way, but that's another way that we steward the opportunity to energize. We ought to look for other people. Maybe you know that someone in this room is facing something. You need to encourage them and trust that the word God gives you to speak are his words to them, to position them, to say, stay malleable in the potter's hands. To be that person who says, God, you can shape me and change me. I'm going to stay so tender towards you. Why? Because you sent somebody with a word for me. You sent somebody with words that just softened my heart, that defended me against unbelief, and launched me into a life of hope and faith in Christ. Church, we have to steward opportunities to evangelize. That never fully happens unless we steward opportunities to empathize. But it never happens in a rapid and kingdom way unless we grab hold of the steward to energize by the power of the Holy Spirit through a life submitted to him.